Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 11, and we're going to read the first 44 verses. We're continuing in our study together of the book of John. John 11, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy and infallible word. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going To go back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, If he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We're at a turning point in the book of John. Jesus is now setting his face towards the cross. Already in chapter 11, you might ask, even though there are 21 chapters in the book, yes. Unlike the other Gospels, almost half of John's book is on what happens in Jesus' last week. That's the time from Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Easter we call that Passion Week sometimes, almost half. And in the other Gospels, it's just the last few chapters. And so now, with Jesus on the road to Calvary, what is the Holy Spirit telling us in our text? Well, we get a very strong clue because the telling of this miracle is bookended with talk of the glory of God. Verse Four, you have it, and 40, the glory of God. If you keep track of such things, you may have heard that Jimmy Fallon took over The Tonight Show from Jay Leno this past week. And there were some big guests for the first show, you too, Will Smith. Will Smith is a real positive guy who's made some fun and exciting movies over the years. And in his interview with Fallon, he reminded us why he's so likable. He said something really interesting about being an entertainer. He talked about how people can get self-centered in the entertainment world, but that he feels his job is to focus on others, to help them get through their day, to be others-oriented. Now, it was a really good idea. Focus on others, not yourself. Everybody clapped. And, and I was really impressed with what he said too. But then, as I thought a little bit more, I, it made me remember that as a believer, there's something even greater than that in life. And that's being God-centered. What Will Smith shared was about the highest place humanity goes, morally speaking. Quote-unquote, good people who aren't Christians will talk about caring for others, and that's commendable. 
But there's something even more virtuous than that. The greater goal and purpose and focus for human living is the glory of God. The Westminster Catechism asks in its first question, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's our number one goal and purpose? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's where the Bible takes us, to where we find life's most ultimate meaning. It's more satisfying than anything else. Ephesians 1.12 says, we were chosen and saved for the praise of his glory, 1 Chronicles 16.24 tells God's people to declare his glory among the nations. Isaiah 43 verse 7 says we were created for God's glory. A Christian does love others, but it's not an end in itself. The ultimate end is glorifying God. And of course, when we love others deeply... We glorify him because loving others is so very important to how God calls us to live. And so it's with God's glory in view that you make decisions in your life. Not ultimately with yourself or others in view. With God's glory in view, churches like ours make decisions in worship and ministry. And in the end, you get what's best for you and others when you put God's glory first. Friends, is it possible that this could be a key matter that you're missing today in your life? Could it be that you're living especially to please yourself or others? But it's not going to completely satisfy. The answer is God and His glory and the glory of Christ first. In work, in play, with your family, your finances, in the church. God's glory is a consistent theme in John. John 1, 1 1-18 is called the prologue. It's sort of the preface. And it lays out many of the major themes of the book. And there we read in verse 14 of the first chapter, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. In that very first miracle, the water turned into wine, Jesus revealed his glory, we read in chapter 2, verse 11. And in our text, we read at the beginning in verse 4, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then at the end, verse 40, Jesus says to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so in this awesome miracle, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is lifting up our eyes to the glory of God. As we see God's power, God's love, and God's sovereignty. God's power, love, and sovereignty. And those are all attributes of God, characteristics. We call those attributes. One person has said that God's glory is all of the attributes of God combined. 
We're not going to cover all those attributes today, talking about God's glory, but we will see those three showcased in this miracle. And those three, in turn, display the glory of God. First of all, we see the glory of God displayed in the power of God. The power of God. Our miracle today is the last of the seven miracles John records for us. And he saves the biggest one for last. As awesome as the other miracles are, here Jesus does the ultimate. He brings a dead man to life. And not just someone who had been dead for a little while. Lazarus was dead for four days. And this was a big deal because a lot of the Jews in that day superstitiously thought that for the first days after death, a person's soul would check in with the body daily. But then after the third day, it would be so obvious to the soul that its body had died, the soul would leave for good. And so, dead is dead, but Lazarus, after four days, was considered really, truly gone by everyone in that day. And yet, Jesus walks up and calls out, Lazarus, come out! The picture we get described is, is kind of spooky. You kind of picture a mummy. It's incredible. We talked about the voice of the Lord in chapter 10, and, and here we see the ultimate power of the Lord's voice to raise the dead. As Jesus had said, I am the resurrection and the life. The seven miracles John chooses to tell us in his gospel are called signs in the book. The blind man seeing is a sign that Jesus is the light of the world for us living in darkness. Jesus feeding the 5,000 is a sign that Jesus is the bread of life for all who have spiritual hunger. The healing of the lame man is a sign that Jesus is the healer of the infirm. But the fact is, people aren't only blind because of sin. We're not just starving. We aren't just weak. This miracle is a sign that we are worse off even than that. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. Things can't get any lower than death, and that's how low we are apart from God. But Jesus has the power to resurrect us from our sin, to raise us up from death to life. The power would come because of where Jesus was headed, to Calvary. He'd go to death on the cross. He'd be raised up on the third day, conquering death in the grave. This power of our God, it's for your life now and mine. It's for your salvation. And when you belong to Jesus, the power of God is on your side. And it means that whatever you're struggling with, whatever obstacle you face, he is able. He can handle it with his power. I don't know about you, but I feel pretty weak sometimes. I feel pretty weak sometimes. Sometimes I feel strong. 
when I'm running up and down the basketball court for an hour in the morning with my basketball buddies, I'm feeling pretty good. But then uh, all I need to do is, is step on someone's foot just the wrong way. It twists, it rolls, it hurts to even think about it. And then suddenly I'm reminded of how weak I am. Some days I, I wake up and I feel like I can conquer the world, everything's going my way, but some other days I, I just feel discouraged and, and nothing seems right. Am I the only one who has that? Come on. You know what I'm talking about. A few weeks ago, a couple of my daughters were remarking on my arm muscles. And, of course, I was flexing them just as much as I could. i, I got to say, they were pretty impressed. And that made me feel good as a dad. And, and I think for a child to sense the strength of her father, well, that's something that brings comfort and security. They know that if anyone would ever try and harm them, that I would protect them with all the strength I had in me until my last breath, if it took that. Well, it seems to me in this miracle, it's as if our Lord is flexing his muscles for his children. You thought the water into wine was something. You thought me walking on water was impressive. Let me show you just how powerful I really am. And Jesus strolls in four days late with all the omnipotence of God, and he says, Lazarus, come out. That's your God. In the weakness and frailty of our existence, his power is displayed here for your benefit, for your life, and to point us all to God's glory. Second this morning, the glory of God is displayed in the love of God. When we talk about Jesus going to the cross, we often talk about the plan of God, the plan of salvation. It started in eternity, and then God worked that all out in history from creation to the fall, through the calling of Abraham, into the times of the prophets and kings of Israel, into the exile and back until Jesus was born at Bethlehem and he walked this earth, he headed to Calvary, he died on the cross, he rose, he gave the great commission, he ascended into heaven, and then he sent the Spirit to empower the church. We can be so familiar this with, with all this <clears throat> that we might be tempted to think salvation is God just going through the motions. We talk about the work of Christ, and we might be tempted to think it was just his job. And, and you know, a job is just something you do because you got to do it. But, but salvation is not just God going through the motions. It's not just Jesus doing his job. Jesus did all of this because he loves us. God so loved the world, says John 3.16. We talked about the tender care of the shepherd for the sheep in chapter 10. And here we see that in how Jesus 
interacts with and cares for his friends. John goes out of the way to show us this. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the others too, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He cried with his hurting friends. In verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Jesus loves his hurting friends, and that reminds us that Jesus cares for all his friends. You and me, too. And think of this. We, we know, because we know what happens next, that right around the corner for Jesus was the culmination of his work, the cross. And yet, he still had time to care for his friends. Boys and girls... Do you ever have it that your dad or mom is too busy to listen to you? Well, that never happens in our home. No, it does happen in our home. A pastor's home is far from perfect. But boys and girls, maybe your dad has been really busy or your mom is just really stressed and you know that they can't quite give you the time that you need. And that's hard. But you know what? God is never like that. God always has time. Jesus is about to do the greatest thing ever. He's going to suffer. He's going to die a terrible death. His friends will betray him. You'd think he'd be like we get sometimes, brow all furrowed, all focused, not able to care for the ones he loves, edgy. But no, he shows his deep love. He remains as kind and gentle and caring as always. Jesus never ever forgets that the people he loves are the very reason he came to do his work and carry out the plan of salvation. You know, just by extension, it's a good reminder for our calling in our homes, at church. Let's not let our plans, our to-do list, our stress get in the way of God's call to love each other with his love. That's what it's about. Our work, our worship, the building up of a great church, advancing the kingdom of God wherever we are. It's about the love of God for people. And John shows us here the perfect love of our Lord for his friends. And in that, too, he displays the glory of our God. Finally, we see the glory of God displayed in the sovereignty of God. If you put the power of God together with his love, what you get is the idea of God's sovereignty. And we see that Jesus lovingly has everything under control, even though Mary and Martha and the disciples can't see it. In verse 6, we learn that though Jesus had heard his close friend Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What in the world is he thinking? But Jesus knows what he's doing. Verse 21, Martha is sad. She's puzzled. She says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And 
I think we can feel that way sometimes. We feel Jesus is absent from our situation. Where was Jesus when I had that accident, that illness, that loss of job? Jesus, if only you had showed up, you could have made everything all right. But we come to learn that he has things under his perfect control. His timing is best. He planned to do all this in such a way to best glorify God and to best show his love to his friends. And I got to tell you, he continues to do that today. We have our questions. We feel puzzled about some things that happen. We wonder when God will show up. But the reality is, as here, and maybe you really need to hear this today, the reality is he knows what he's doing. He has not forgotten you. He's working out all things for the good of those who love him. Trust that today. And so on the road to Calvary, God's glory is displayed in his incredible power, in his tender love, and in his perfect sovereignty. Our call in all of this is to believe. To put our trust in the Lord Jesus. Jesus says to Martha, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. Yes. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And so today we have seen God's glory and the response is to believe, to put your trust in Jesus. One thing that I I sometimes think about in this passage is what was Lazarus doing for those four days? What do you think he saw and experienced? Did he ever tell anyone about that? It's interesting that John doesn't bring up any of that at all. But if you hear Jesus' voice today and believe, you know what? You will see what Lazarus saw. You'll experience it. There's nothing better than life eternally and life now with the power and love and sovereignty of our God. All who put their trust in Jesus can Have it and experience it. And when you do that, God will truly receive the glory in your life too. Amen. 